Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Last week, um, essentially, we talked about dreams and legacy. There's a difference between dream and legacy. A dream is, is in the future. A legacy is left for the future. Okay, that's kind of what that boils down to. And we have focused on Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And, and it's crazy. Nicole and I, we didn't even do our dream list yet. We didn't update this year's. And uh, the Lord already began to do things. For, for Nicole's words, um, basically, she said, I wouldn't even written that down, but the Lord's doing beyond what I would have written down. And I'll let her share what that is eventually if she wants to. But uh, the Lord's already opening up these doors that are bigger than what she would even put down on her list. So um, see Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, then we'll pass those out. says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now, I love verse 21. It goes on to say, Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation. Say generation. <laughs> through Jesus Christ. And all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. Amen. All right? So he will do beyond your wildest imagination. So the Bible says, Ask anything in my name and I'll do it. If you can dream it, God can do it. And he'll go beyond your wildest imagination. Um, so if you don't have a target or a, a dream card yet, will you just raise your hand there and get those to you? Keep your hand up until you get one. It's a target per household and a card per person. Let me go over this. The cards basically represent dreaming and legacy. What we decided this year is going into, we, we always start the year and, and last uh, two weeks, if you've not been here, catch it on Vimeo. Two weeks ago, we shared testimonies of breakthroughs in dreaming from 2019. I think sometimes we move too quickly to go to the new, and we don't saturate ourselves and reflect and celebrate what did and is happening. Let, let me, before I get too heavy into this, um, if we continually dream out of a place of discontentment, we set ourselves up in a very dangerous place with a lack of foundation, because nothing will ever be good enough. Dreaming has to come in a faith realm of a hunger for the more while in contentment with where you are. The Bible says be content with what you have. So we sit in this place of valuing, honoring the past, appreciating, being thankful where we are, but still in this healthy place of looking forward to where we're going. If, 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 if our history is greater than our dreams, we're already dead. If we only camp out in the past and our history is greater than our destiny, then we're dying. We have to be able to focus more past our history, more past where we are, and continue to dwell in the faith realm of where God's taking us, what he's going to do. And the testimonies become also prophecies of what he will do again. So there's this place of honoring the past being thankful where we are and dreaming of the more, dreaming of dreams. And so on the left side of those postcards on the back, you have 20 dreams in 2020. Then on the right side of that, you have 20 dreams for the next 20 years. 
Something changes in our thought process when we begin to enlarge those, those tent posts. When we begin to enlarge that tent, we go beyond thinking selfishly and thinking about me, and we begin to think about others. Let, let me put this in context. Nicole and I, we, we poured out a lot this week. We, Monday night, I spoke to the men's group and, and just kind of just honed in and went a little deeper on this. Thursday night, we met with the young adult gathering and, and continued on this. And the question I ended with with every group was the same question. If you had $50 million, what would you do with it? Now, we know we are faithful, righteous, um, uh, trusting givers, so we, we said you've already tithed, okay? So we took that one out. We know, you guys, you're, you're faithful givers. So we took out tithe, and we took out paying off house debt, all right, because that's just like an automatic. So now you've got $50 million. Now, what's amazing is I start with lesser questions. I start with questions like dream car, dream trip, and typically those fulfill our desires. And, and, and by the way, God's not opposed to natural dreams, all right, as long as we don't begin to worship them. Let, let me kind of reword that. Psalms, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll honor the desires of your heart. It's better, the Bible also says it's better to give than to receive, but it never says we can't receive. It's better to give, but we're still allowed to receive. It boils down the greatest commandments down to these. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what's it say? Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. It's okay to love yourself as long as you're loving God first. So let me just clarify. This is not a prosperity thing, but it's a thing to say the way in which we receive is a reflection of our value and worth. The way I receive a gift from somebody reflects my mindset, whether I'm a son, a slave, or an orphan. See, orphans, they camp out to say they never, they never deserve anything. They don't belong. Slaves feel they have to earn everything, but sons get to receive an inheritance. Now, in an inheritance, it's out of love, so we value and cherish it. We don't have a spirit of entitlement and disrespect. That's a message all in itself. I get it. Okay, a lot, a lot of stuff there. So here's the deal. The, when we begin to enlarge the vision and go from a car and a trip to a $50 million question, or, or we go from a year to 20 years, inherently we begin to think bigger than the now. We begin to think bigger than me. Automatically, every person at the young adult gathering that we asked this to and every man on Monday night, when we said $50 million, it involved legacy. It involved um, some of the ones on Thursday night included rem absolutely eradicating slave trafficking and human trafficking all the way. $50 million, I would eliminate human trafficking. Yay, Jesus. Another girl, I would remove shame from every female and do a system of ministry to remove shame from every female in India. These are legacy things. I would, I would start up an organization to, to fund every grassroots ministry that I know about, you know, or that I could fund. The, these things are legacy. What can leave an impact in legacy in that dash on our tombstone? What's our legacy? What's our mark on the earth going to look like? And legacy in 20 years looks different than dreams in one year. So now suddenly we begin to think in the realm of, of marriage and children and children's children. And, and we start to think in the context of three generations. We start to think in the context of 100 years and what can we leave behind? What trail can we blaze now that the people coming behind us get to go easier and maybe branch off? What does our ceiling look like now that we can leave the earth where it becomes somebody else's the next generation's floor? So we're raising the roof. Nicole said, we're coming in hot last week, so I can say we're raising the roof, okay? 
Anybody else catch that last week? She's like, we're coming in hot. It's a new year. We're coming in hot. I was like, it's my wife. She's amazing. So anyway, here, the, so, so what we focused on last week was, was the big targets are your family's mission, right? That, that process that maybe your kids are grown. We talked about well, maybe your kids are grown and, and moved out. Maybe you have grandkids. Invite them back in to say, what's been our family mission? What have we been good at? What do we want to finish with? Listen, in our lives, thankfully, it's not how we start, but it's how we finish. I didn't start well. I have not, and, and I'm still in process, but I hope to finish well. So, and then the cards become your personal thing. And that's just a glimpse of what last week was like. Catch it on the Vimeo and all of the other platforms. But what's your target? As a church, we, our target is his presence and people to fulfill their destinies. We focus on God as number one. We're not into programs. We're not into everybody camp around this one target. But what we want to do, the Bible says, to equip the believers for the work of their ministries. So we then get to sharpen your arrow. We get to polish your arrow so that you can hit your targets, your God-given destinies, your assignments, your anointings, your callings, your giftings. Then all of a sudden, the kingdom advances through your industry, through your neighborhood, through your family, through your spheres of influence, to where now the church, the bride, the body is broadened, not by what we can do as 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 an organization, but by what we can do as a family equipping sons and daughters for the work of their ministries. That's last week. Theme verse for the whole series, uh, and this is going to be three weeks plus. We might even do like a Star Wars thing. Like, we stop it, we restart it, we go in the past, we go in the future, we do all kinds of weird stuff that I don't get because I've never watched a Star Wars and I probably never will. Don't cast your arrows at me right now. Don't think that I lost my man card. I just don't dig Star Wars or sci-fi or any of that. So, the kingdom has to be sitting. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not against it. It's just not my cup of tea. So, Isaiah 49.2 says this. This is kind of the theme verse. This is the launching. And we talked about, we, many of us have been in a season of, of being in a quiver. We've been in a season of being held back, but sometimes you got to go backwards before you can go forwards. And sometimes it's in those rough seasons. It's in those, those seasons of even sin that we learn how much we need a Savior. We had a guy attend this morning at 9 a.m. who never set foot in a church building in his life. He's been clean from meth for 93 days. Zach invites him, and he said the sinner's prayer was born again for the first time ever in history. Now, now listen, I was like, so what'd you think? He's like, I've never been to a church, so I didn't know what to think. It was great. I can't wait to share my story tonight at NA. You know, he's, he's talking about this. And then I went to say, would you like to ask Jesus in your heart? He's like, what do you, what do you mean? And I explain it as if somebody had never heard Jesus before. I haven't had to do this in a long time. That's the beauty about the family reaching the people you, that your target is that you're supposed to reach. Now listen, this gentleman and all of us, we may have felt like in life we were moving backwards, but sometimes that's the Lord pulling back that arrow before he launches it. Now, now the arrow part's easy, the bow part's easy, but it's in that tension where we grow. It's in that tension that we learn to steward the natural and, and where we learn to, to, the, for the, to learn how to play the harp or worship. It's where we learn how to sling that slingshot so we can later slay the giant. It's in that tension where our greatest growth is even when it's the hardest. That was great last week when we talked about all this. I'm still on last week. Isaiah 49.2 says this, though. 
He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Now, now listen, what I talked about and what, we, what we're going from is, is being pulled out of the quiver, being pulled back in tension so that we can be launched. And, and, and I'm just here to tell you that there are three parts to this era. So this week, I want to talk about the three generations. I want to talk about the generational synergy moving forward. I, I know and I have this value system that we need each other. We need a family. Kingdom grows in the context of relationships. Family is the organized functioning unit of love, and family is the government of heaven. The kingdom is not going to advance through businesses and organizations that don't have Christ in the forefront. And churches thrive when we have community and we have family. Members come and go, but families stick together. See, we're not just renters. I, I rented a car several years ago, and it was, it was a Camaro SS. I dig cars. I kind of like them. I can't afford to buy them, but I can sometimes afford to rent a fun one. So if I'm going to minister out, I'll be like, oh, man, $85 for the weekend? A, a convertible Camaro SS? Yes, please. Enterprise, you're amazing. So I hammer this thing. We're coming out of church. We're going to go to lunch. And all of a sudden, it's a four-lane highway. And the pastors are in front of me of the church. I'm like, oh, we're going to showboat a little bit. This thing, I'm paddle shifting. I'm, I'm getting it, right? Before you know it, this thing's just gliding. I'm like, I'm doing 150 miles per hour in a 45. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Breaks. I don't want to lose my firefighting career yet. You know, so... So I slow down. Now, I drove that way different as a renter than I would as an owner. An owner, I'd be like, let's ease into that a little bit. we got to preserve this. Now, as a renter, I'm like, let's blow those carbon tips off. Wah! There's something different about a family. There's something different about an owner versus a renter. And some of you may not know this, but we have a family wall out there, and, and it's this living room kind of room. As you walk out, it's on your left. There's couches and chairs, and there's this wall with all these pictures on it. At the top, it says family covenant home. Now, home is an atmosphere that's created, not a destination or a building. Home is a place where you feel safe and where you're not just tolerated, but you're celebrated. Home is an atmosphere of love. Home is joy. Home is where you get to be you because everybody else is taken and you is celebrated. You, home is, is this safe place. It's this, it's this place that even when you fall, even when you mess up, we get to pick you up and brush you off to remind you who you are instead of the enemy convincing of who you're not. That's home. And, and, and sometimes we come to church and we're not looking for members. We don't have contracts here. I'm, I'm not opposed to any church that does. Some, some of it's great. But for us, membership looks like you taking a little clip in your picture, whether you're single or whether you're married or your family, and you put that picture on the wall. You're putting a stake in the ground to say, I'm an owner now. I'm part of this family. See, family changes things. And the only way we're going to pass legacy down is in the context of family. See, see fathers and mothers will pass down to children and sons and daughters to let a legacy carry on. Without that, it's not going to happen. So we have three parts of this arrow. Matthew twenty-two thirty-two says that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the living, not the dead. We have three parts of this arrow that, in my opinion, represent the, the, the three generations moving forward. Now, now, at times, it's the tip that often gets the credit. I'm a bow hunter, so this, this kind of series and these kind of props kind of jack me up a little bit. Like, I don't know, we can hunt something. Hunting our destiny. I'll bring hunting into it somehow, y'all. We're hunting our destiny. We're hunting what the Lord's called for us. Let's see if I can do killing. 
killing fear. We're killing division. We're killing the things that get in the... No, I'm just kidding. So I could go all day, right? But these things represent, the, in my opinion, this oftentimes arrows mentioned in the Bible, and there's a launching, and there's a story that I'm going to share next week about striking the ground three times with an arrow. Now, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the generations. He is the God of, of the past, the present, and the future. See, the cross, even when Jesus is, is pinned up on the cross, he's pinned up on there, and it says, he says this, it is finished. Now, we know that the cross also represents for all of us a new beginning. So at the time, Jesus is, is finishing a task to separate sin and connect us back to the Father. It's a fresh start that the old has died and the new creatures are born. The new has begun. So at that time of a new, he's also saying it is finished. It's the beginning, but it's also the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's, he's on the cross. The cross became the pivotal moment. So it's, it's our past and being thankful for where we are, honor where we've been, but look forward to where we're going. In generational context, it's being thankful for the fathers and mothers that have went before us, who've poured into us, who have, who have paved a way for us. It's being content and thankful and living in this moment. Let me just remind all of us in here, we're only going to get this moment once. We're only going to be single at this moment once. We're only going to have this moment in my marriage once. We're only going to have this moment with my kids or grandkids once. In this moment, we get to cherish and actually be present in this moment. Present, not perfect, but present. We get to live in this moment and cherish it, but look forward to the future generations. Sometimes we, we live in the past and all oh, the good old days. Listen, if you're stuck in the good old days, it's time to look forward to the good old days that are ahead. If you're here, God's not done with you yet. I get really excited and worked up a little bit about this. It, <laughs> if you're here, God's not finished. And let me just prophesy this. Your best years are yet to come. I don't care if you're 30 sitting in here, 20 sitting in here, or 80 sitting in here. Your best years are yet to come because you still have something to live for and you still have something to give. Part of the generational message is cherishing each part and value of each generation. So we have this arrow, and, and we have the tip, and, and we'll show the three parts. Yep, tip. We have the shaft, and we have the fletching. Okay, a lot of time, it's the tip that gets the credit. Now, I'm a hunter, like I said, and I use rage broadheads. And if I kill a deer, if I'm out in the stand, I'm doing all my great, you know, perfect Instagram posts with all the right filters, and everything looks amazing, right? And I'm like, hashtag rage in the cage. Hashtag whitetail bow hunting. Hashtag Ohio hunting. Hashtag big bucks. Right? You're doing all this. And it's the tip that gets the credit because I'm like tagging rage, hoping they repost me. Right? Like, look at that size of that hole in that. Sorry. I, I don't want to offend anybody. But anyway, the tip oftentimes gets the credit, and that's the most expensive part of the arrow. I will drop 40 to $60 on three of these bad lads when you can get six arrows or even more, 10, for the same price. A lot of time, it's the tip that we think is the most important part of the arrow. But then we have the shaft, and these are the three generations. I would say that the younger generation is the tip. It's the one that is in the forefront moving forward. Then we have the fletching at the back. Now, let me just tell you that the fletching, in my opinion, is actually the most important because it is what is guiding the tip. Without the fletching, as this began to release and, and, and go out of the boat, it would just literally do that. It would go nowhere. 
See, it's the older generation, it's the seasoned Christians, it's the mature that we need to guide the generation that's going to battle. There's something with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we can't do it without all three, but there's not one that's necessarily more important, but there is value in this fletching of this guidance that we need as a younger generation. And let me just remind you that at any context or in certain, basically you go anywhere in a room with enough people, you're going to be probably in all three at one point or another in your life or at all times. Even specifically spiritually as a believer, when I sit at the table with Lave or Jake Hamilton, I'm oftentimes the tip and I'm the young and I'm the, I'm the sponge that, that I just want to saturate everything and be sharpened and polished and take it all in and grow and be humble and, and receive and be teachable and moldable. But then at times I may sit at a table where I'm the one pouring out and I'm the one guiding, I'm the one giving and I'm the one, you know, discipling. Now, the goal, though, is for every relationship that, that you have this paradigm where it's a father-son kind of deal where the goal of every dad is to be best friends eventually with their son and to, see, to have them see the value in you to where it's not this thing, but it becomes this thing, Amen. where you're sitting for coffee and we're adding value to each other. We're challenging each other. We're sharpening each other's iron. Daniel 4.3 says this. He says, how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And it says, and his dominion is from generation to generation. It's a generational gospel to reach a generational kingdom for eternity. And we need each other. And we, we get to see the value in each other. Let me, let me just move on here. Acts 2.16-22 says this. I want to talk about the differences and the value and the importance of what's happening. Acts 2, 16 through 22 says this. It says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass that in the last days, says God, that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And then it goes on to say, and on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I love this part. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below. Signs and wonders and signs that make you wonder. Like there's this big event happening. Jesus is ascending. Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Like Nicole said, he paid a price on the cross, and then he arose. That we get to rise to life and conquer death as well in our sin and be alive in Christ. But then it says, so he's saying, but listen, I'm leaving, but my spirit's coming, and it's going to fill you up. It's going to comfort you and guide you. There's an outpouring of that spirit on the day of Pentecost around this text in Acts 2. And it's this, it's this phenomenon, and, and faint flames rest on their tongue, on their heads. They spoke in tongues, and everybody understood, and God was glorified. It's this amazing, miraculous thing by the empowerment of Holy Spirit. And he's saying this, and it's a generational message, and he's reminding us of what Joel the prophet said. In the last days, I'm going to pour my spirit on all flesh. Everybody's going to prophesy. There's going to be signs and wonders. And then it says this, old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to see visions. A dream essentially becomes a blueprint. A dreamer, an old man is the architect. The visionary, the young man, is the builder. It's a blueprint of a dream, and the visionary, the young men, have a, the ability to fulfill that. Let me just speak of a few. A, a, Elijah had a, had a dream, but Elisha had the vision to fulfill it with a double portion. Jacob had a dream, right? 
And, and we had these others that have dreams, and their sons then have the vision to fulfill it. David had a dream to build a tabernacle, and Solomon had the vision to fulfill it. God had a dream and, and of the whole earth to come to know him, and Jesus became the vision, the plan on the cross to fulfill it. Moses had a dream of the promised land, and Joshua had the vision to fulfill it. Now, here's the generational thing of seeing the value in each other. We have this passionate, energetic guy named Joshua who is, who is ready to go to battle. And we have Moses, Aaron, and Ur standing, you know, looking out over this battle, essentially. And this story is found in the Old Testament. I encourage you to look it up. So, so what happens is Moses is getting tired. Now, Aaron, his older brother, and Ur, they each represent something. And the differences of our calling and the differences of our generation and the differences of how we're wired is how we all work together to see the kingdom advance and see God be glorified and God's fulfillment and dream around the earth to come true that people will come to know him, love him, experience him, accept him, and be born again. So Moses is getting tired, and he's got this rod or this staff, this rod, and as it gets lowered, the battle's lost. All of a sudden, Aaron and Ur come alongside him. And see, Aaron represents the priestly, the supernatural. He represents the prophetic. There's that supernatural, weird, kooky side that we here at Upper Room kind of like. Then, then there's Ur. He was actually the lineage of the rebuilding of the tabernacle. He represents the planners, the architects, the builders. Then you have Moses, who's a visionary, who's the leader. And then you have Joshua, who's the warrior. Listen, without any one of them, this, this vision, this, this accomplishment wouldn't come to, ta ta come to pass. See, here's, here's what's happening. There is a promised land waiting for each of us, for each of your legacies, for each of your dreams, for each of your children and future children and children's children. But it takes all of us to sit at that table, for all of us to engage to win that battle. Now, let me just show you two things here. These are um, different types of bows that I have. This is a, a recurve bow. It's stringless. Don't pay attention to that. This is a recurve. This would be more of a traditional style bow. Now, this is a Matthews bow. And, and this is top of the line, new technology. You have a Can-Am system, a pulley system that lightens it as I go back. I can hold it there much longer, whereas the tension's always held there. Both of these would, would hit their target. Both would, would do, with a great marksman, would flawlessly hit the target, would would do what they're intended to do initially is to kill things. And battle in the Bible, I, I know some of you may not understand this, but there were wars in the Bible. People died. It was gruesome. We get a little soft now. <laughs> yeah, people died. <laughs> so, and, and this is intended to kill deer for me. So both do the trick. Totally different. One's way easier than the other for me. One's way more accurate than the other for me. But both are going to do the trick. Now, this, in my opinion, represents the Moses generation. Now, I'm going to pick the Joshua generation here. All right, this is my go-to. This is for fun. This was a gift that was given to me that I cherish and that I keep in the bag and probably will seldom, if ever, shoot it. Um, and this is something that's the everyday kind of thing I would take out in the field. Now, but for you, some of you may choose to do life and go through things a different way than what I do. Some of you, this might be more appealing, more challenging. It might be more fun. Now, here's the, the context for that visual is there are two ways to, to do things. There's, there's, there's always two ways. There's always different ways. 
There's different ways to advance the kingdom for generation to generation. And let me just remind you, the word of God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But his, our delivery system has to change. We cannot reach this generation, the millennials and younger, the same way we reached people 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Now, the word doesn't change. God of the word doesn't change. But our delivery system has to in order for us to be um, relative or, or effective in our environment. I'm fully convinced that Jesus would have changed this language depending on who he talked to based on proof of that is in the scripture with parables. When he was speaking to farmers, he would speak about seed time and harvest. He would talk about land, and he would talk about working the soil. When he was working and talking to tax collectors, he would reference money. When he was, all of a sudden, his delivery system would always change based on what parable he was telling for who his crowd was. Amen. Now, let me get to the point of this message today. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The millennials have so much to offer in the Gen Zs. And look around. If you notice, about 80% roughly of our church is made up of that, that segment. That 80% of millennials and Gen Zs are what's in the room right now. About 20% are above that. Let me just tell you who's right. Who does it a better way? Who reaches their generation a better way? Yes. Yes. It's not either or. It's and both. Now, now, let me just say this. The way that you're going to reach your sphere of influence, your family, your industry, your workplace, your street, your neighborhood, your city is the way God designed and wired you to do it. Now, there's something that each of us have to offer. Let me finish with this last story. I, I've worked 18 and a half years at the Troy Fire Department. I'm going to have to hydrate for this one. Piano, band, somebody can come up if you want. There mm, I was expecting like at least a two-minute lag on that, so you might be there for a minute. Wasn't quite ready for like the first closing. I'm just getting into the first one, but just know I always have three closings at least. Let me finish this. At the fire department, we have, in my opinion, like these two eras, and there's essentially three generations. There's rookies that come in. There's, there's the middle guys, and then there's the seasoned veterans. Now, here's the cool thing about the generations, and I'll just kind of split that into two as the visionaries and the dreamers. Now, at the fire department, rookies coming in have the freshest book knowledge. We're, we're firefighters and paramedics. Like, they've already, they know, they still remember all the drugs and medications and contraindications and side effects and all these things, right? Now, me with 18 and a half years in, I'm like, what? what? Oh, that's in our protocol now? <laughs> I'm, I'm like a desk guy now. So, but here's the thing. In a fire, they're bringing the fresh stuff. The new guys, that, that, that young generation, they're bringing, well, do we always have to do a fog nozzle or a straight nozzle? Can we do this? Can we fight the fire from the outside versus going in and risking more? And is it faster and more effective if we eliminate the threat rather than going into the environment? Wow. Part of the young generation has this responsibility on you to ask the challenging questions. And part of our responsibility as the seasoned veterans, the older generation, the fletching, the back of the arrow, is to provide answers or guide you to the answers to those questions. Now, there's this thing that the seasoned veterans carry called experience and wisdom. I try to avoid words like old, age, seasoned veterans, wisdom experience 
when I go into a fire, I've got enough awareness and, and fortitude and experience and years that when I'm in the fire and I'm down low and all of a sudden I start to see a glow over my head or I, see a, or I hear a crack or I'm hearing things or I, I feel that temperature start to change or I'm hearing something different, I know the environment's changing and it's probably a good idea for us to get out. There might be collapse that's imminent. Now, a guy with less experience may not have been in that environment yet to know those sounds, to know those, those, those appearances or to feel that warmth or feel those changes. But all of a sudden, as we come together, now we are a team to move forward that I get to embrace the young and the book knowledge and, and the new stuff while they're embracing the old and the experience and the wisdom and the years of sacrifice. In my marriage, Nicole and I have been married 16 and a half years. I love asking people who've been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years, what's the keys to the success of your marriage? And they begin to share, well, compromise. Don't go to bed angry. There's these things that I, that I gain that all of a sudden I become the tip and I'm just, I'm being sharpened. I'm being encouraged. I'm, I'm being built. I'm being molded. And there's times at 16 and a half years, a five-year marriage might be asking me questions, and now I'm guiding, I'm sending, I'm launching. There's something about cherishing the generations. And if, if we in upper room here with the, the, those two distinct generations can realize that there is a generation of millennials and Gen Zs that are nothing like what you're seeing on the news. They're not a problem. They're a promise. They are not disloyal. They are not lazy. They're amazing. On Thursday nights, Nicole and I, we get to get life by pouring out and give ourselves for this generation. It's a, it's a generation that's hungry for authenticity, that's hungry for family, that's hungry for genuine relationships face-to-face, -face, not Facebook. It's crazy. You would think the opposite, but this generation grew up with so much technology, they actually don't want that. They're sick of it. They only do it in their jobs and the places they have to. But real life, they'd rather sit down for coffee and talk and never stop talking and never stop listening. They love it. They love to talk. At the gathering, when we split up the small groups, we have to force them to stop so that we can move on. Part of our older generation here can lean, can glean from that, can grow from that, that they actually want what you carry and what you want to pour out. At the same time, this younger generation needs to see the value and the wisdom and the experience of those ahead of us. And they need to see the need for discipleship and the need for, for growth and to polish our tips and our, our, our arrows. Once we realize that both have something to offer, all of a sudden the, the divisions and the word curses and the naysayers and those that are against this generation get to come together and we actually get to advance the kingdom because forceful men and women lay hold of it from every generation. Why don't you stand with me? I was gonna preach an entire message after that last service. <laughs> I'm so thankful I chose to table that. <laughs> and you getting hungry for lunch agrees. Nicole's always saying, that could have been like four parts and you just crammed it all into 45 minutes. You could have done one in 25 and we could have been home sooner. No, she doesn't. She kind of does say that, but. Let me dismiss through one activation here. What I would love to see is 
of value for the generational gap. That's what, that's what we'll just call it today, the generational gap. Now, now here's what I want you to know. I just, I began to prophesy over somebody before or during service today. And I, I, the Lord kind of just had this expression come out of me. Don't let your past disappointments affect your future destiny. Don't let your past disappointments of somebody letting you down. Listen, let, let me get on. Oh, man, I left. I still left out so much. Let me, let me, these two verses are for the two generations. To the moms and dads. This is to the moms and dads, the seasoned people. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says this. You have many teachers and tutors and instructors among you, but not many mothers and fathers. You have, met, you have a ton of education available. You have a ton of information available, but not much mothering and fathering. Now, let me just tell you this. I understand. I'm, I'm empathetic to know that not everybody uh, were, were able to have natural children or chose to. You don't have to have children to mother and father in the kingdom. Just as much as we go to West Central every nine weeks or so and pour out to youth that are locked up, that all of them were born by a dad, but not many of them have fathers. There's a fatherless generation that are here and that is roaming around. So to the, to the children and the sons and daughters, Romans 8, 22 and 23 basically says this, whole, the whole earth is moaning and groaning for the sons of God to manifest. Now, let me, let me merge this in. Malachi 4, 5 and 6, the last two verses, the last scriptures of the Old Testament. Sometimes when things are first and last things are first and first things are last, I kind of pay attention to it in the word. It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And in the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now listen, there's something that's happening here at Upper Room this year for the next 20 years that he's turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and mothers and hearts of the fathers and mothers to the children. Now listen, eventually, oh man, I know I'm going long. You can't be a father or mother without being a child. You can't guide without being sharpened. Freely I receive freely I give. I can't give something I don't have. I receive and then I give. I can't be a mother and father until I'm a child. Just as the same token though, I can't remain as a child my whole life in the kingdom. Eventually I have to get off the milk. Eventually I have to get off the pacifier and the diapers and I have to be a mom or a dad because there's something to be said with this experience and wisdom that needs to guide a generation a legacy. Now, I want to just put this out there as almost like a warning. As I'm becoming a mother or a father, as I'm becoming a father, though, I never want to stop being a son. Romans 8, Galatians 4 talks about the spirit of adoption, that I've been, I've been adopted with the spirit of adoption. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer an orphan. But I'm a son of God who can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy God. I can cry out, Daddy. So as I become a father, I don't want to not be a son. Here's what I'd like to happen. Sorry, I felt that was important before I send you that there's people in here that are, that are constantly being children that you need to grow up. I don't, I don't come at you like that very often, but it's time to grow up. And you have something to offer and you have something to give and you have something to live for and it's time to be a dad. It's time to be a mom. 
Some of us in here who are moms and dads, at times it's time for me to be a son and to be sharpened and allow others to add value in my life and to see the importance of that. So here's how I love the end service. I'd love for you, we're gonna make that mid of that age of 35. I don't care where you go on 35, you can go up or down, I don't care. That's roughly the age of millennials, roughly, all right? 35 to 38 and under. I want you to find an old, uh, uh, <laughs> told you I don't say that, an experienced, wise, mature person. The wise, experienced, and mature people, I'd love for you to find somebody less than 35. And just, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to declare and pray for and speak into life the things that they're destined for, not the things the world may be cursing them on. Either way. Like, your best years are yet to come, folks. It's going to be good. So God, he, he didn't make a mistake when he made you. He had a dream and wrapped you around it. He, you were fearfully and wonderfully made, and you were called for such a time as this. No matter your age, no matter where you are in Christ or age on the earth. There's two different ages there. And there's times where an 80-year-old can say yes to Jesus for the very first time, and they need discipled and poured into. So I've talked enough. So why don't you just partner up, and then you can be dismissed after this. But please, find somebody, and let's begin to cherish and see the value in the generations.